Thank you for tuning in to How's Things, a podcast and radio show from the David A. Howe Public Library, recorded right here in Wellsville, New York. My name's Nick Gunning, and I'm joined by one of my favorite guest stars, Ali Stevick. Ali, Woo-hoo, welcome back. Here I am. Welcome I'm back. Glad to be back. Last time we were talking all things Victorian. We sure were. Have you read any Victorian things since then? Well, see, that's a complicated question because oh. I think it was two times ago. Okay. You asked what I was reading, and I said, yeah. "Oh, I picked up this book at a used yeah. bookstore." It's this Victorian novel yes. called Mopra. Right. I'm still reading that. Oh, okay. what happened That's is awkward. I checked That's out awkward. a whole bunch of books and I was like, well, these have to actually go back. Where's this one I own? Rookie so I'll mistake. prioritize yeah. all these. I know, I know, I know. Yeah. But it's hard. I walk past books every I, listen, day and what am I going to do but check them out? You're preaching to the choir, sister. That's been my problem since I was 19. Uh, I have a correction I need to make because in that episode, I said that my brother was in the play Queens of France by Oscar Wilde. And he was like, oh, actually, I have to correct you there uh, because it's Thornton Wilder who wrote Queens of France, not Oscar Wilde. I'm just processing the fact that your Thornton brother Wilder. talks the a little Kermit, A little Kermity. I, like, yeah. I've never met him, yeah. so, you know. I don't think that but. was a great impression, but I think the essence was right. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I understand. Queens of France is by Thornton Wilder, and I did enjoy it. You know what else I like by Thornton Wilder? Uh, Theophilus North. Have you ever read that book? I haven't, but I've heard of it. I like it. I like it a lot. It's weird. It's kind of, I don't know. It's just about this town. It has sort of like a magical quality to it. And he's just kind of like going around really hard to describe. Magical as an actual magic? Or no, it just I feels... don't. Yeah, it's not, it's not actual magic, but there's something sort of otherworldly about it. It feels almost fantastical, but it's not really. It's just, mm. you know, I think it's his perspective. There's a stage version of it, which works really well because it lends itself to that, but... Anyway, that's my little correction that I have to make. I was hoping you were about to say it's magical realism because I love magical no, realism. No, I'm sorry. Alas. It's not. No, it's not. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into our bookmarks. So you said you're still reading that same book. I am. It's my nighttime book. I read it right before I go to bed. Really? Mm-hmm. What is your reading habits normally? Are my you reading habits? Are you like reading at lunch? Are you like reading throughout the day? Or you have like this is my set reading time? I read at lunch, and then nerd. Well, I like. <laughs> you know, no, I do too. I do to too. You're right. Yeah, you're all right. right. All right. And then. I read some in the evenings. I'll read a little bit before I go to bed. And then it kind of depends. Like sometimes in the evening I'll be like, "Eh, you know, I'm not going to read that much today. I'm going to do other things. But if I have a book that I'm like hooked on, Mm -hmm. then it'll be like, that's all we do this evening is we read this book. Okay. All right. And are you a one book at a time kind of gal? Or do you usually have a couple things going? I'm kind of somewhere in between. I'll I'll have an audio book going. Yeah. Yeah, And I'll have like a hard copy book going. Sometimes I'll have two hard copy books going. It'll be like, Oh, one that I read at lunch and one that I read in the evening or like one that's a little bit more educational, quote unquote, and one that's a little bit more just fun. Fancy. Okay. You know, we'll make different distinctions, but it's usually one or very few. Otherwise, it just, we don't get anywhere. Okay. Uh, So did you, you said you checked some things out that had due dates that you had to read. So did you finish some things that were interesting? All right. Let me have it. Yeah. So I just went on like a big SKLE, like read all her books thing. Okay. So I started by reading Misfit in Love, which is the last one that she wrote. <laughs> okay. So good for me, mm-hmm. um, which I might have mentioned last time. I can't remember. And then I liked it so much. I said, OK, now I'm going to read everything else that she's written so far. Mm-hmm. So I read Love from A to Z. 
which I really enjoyed. It has okay. a super spunky heroine, which I was really excited about. So what is the what are the tone of these books? Like what's the genre? It's YA. It's realistic fiction. Okay. And they tend to like have some romance in them. Okay. Which I don't normally be like, I want to read a YA romance. <laughs> but the first one that I read kind of had like a racial tensions thing going oh. on, which I was like, that sounds interesting. Okay. And then once I read that one, I was like, okay. Okay. So, but the author is... A Muslim woman. Okay. And all of the stories are about Muslim young women, teenagers in oh, high school. Okay. And so it's just kind of an interesting window into sure. that life. Something okay. that, you know, I don't have a lot of Muslim yeah, friends. Yeah, yeah. You know, to be able to kind of see some more of that, but then also kind of see some of the differences, but some of the similarities. Like I relate to things about these mm-hmm. characters. And so I just found it really interesting for hmm. that purpose. That sounds cool. Have you been watching anything good? Any VHS tapes of 80s shows with your parents? We're, or we're still watching the same 80s okay. show. Okay, <laughs> good. <laughs> Woo, good. <laughs> we're working our way through. Okay, all right. And the title of that again was? Wish Me Luck. Wish Me Luck, okay. And it is very excellent. Okay. I just watched a documentary on National Geographic called The Lost Temple of the Inca. It's from 2020. It was about a man who was doing like an environmental thing he was looking for he, he found a frog he found this big weird frog and while he was looking for this frog he found what looked like a big snake made out of like gold rocks and he found like pots and stuff so then they were like whoa this is an archaeological site and so then it kind of switches to that all you have to do is say something is lost lost temple lost city mm-hmm. and i'm in i'm all in that's all i need really to know for the lost that's things. all i need to know and i don't know why i keep coming back to it because this is the same kind of thing it's always like was this the lost temple <laughs> we don't really know but maybe and i'm like it wasn't it wasn't it still was a good documentary but a little bit lacked some punch at the end so mm-hmm. are you a documentary fan you seem like I you like are them occasionally <laughs> yeah all right i finished four wins by Kristen Hanna. Have you read any Kristen Hanna stuff? I don't think I have. She's been on a hot streak ever since The Nightingale, which was a World War II novel. And if anybody's been listening since the All the Book Show days, you know how sick I got of talking about The Nightingale because it never left the bestseller list. And Kristen Hanna, I have a weird I have a weird relationship with my feelings on Kristen Hanna because for a long time, she was writing a lot of like, you know, just sort of like the, the paperback, not romance necessarily, but in that kind of weird place between like, this is literature and this is like, like, you know, just sort of paperback right. stuff. The genre. Yeah. So it was just kind of like right in the center there. And then the Nightingale hit and it was such a success. It was such like everybody was reading it. And it was one of those kind of books, and I feel like Four Winds falls into the same trap a little bit, where the subject matter is really serious, but it's still kind of written like a paperbacky, I don't know, like a hmm. like an easy breezy kind of read, but it's about a subject matter that's intense, like France being occupied in World War II, which was the Nightingale. And then the one right after that she wrote was called The Great Alone, and that was set uh, post-Vietnam War, and it was about a family who started a homestead up in Alaska, and it was just all about them just going through that while the dad is suffering with like undiagnosed PTSD. I really loved that one. I thought that was really good. Four Winds, I feel like, kind of is in between the two of those because it's so it's set like during the dust bowl and all that and it's about this family who they're farmers and they just like keep losing everything because it's just like raining dirt all the time and there's no water and so a woman and her two kids 
basically take the last of their money and belongings and drive to California because it's been sort of touted as this promised land of rain and jobs, you know. And they get there and it's kind of worse in a lot of ways. Mm. And so it was interesting to read about that period of time. There was also a lot of parallels because it really was kind of dealing with how you treat desperate people who come into you know like it's easy to make parallels of like immigration with this kind of thing because it was like all these people are coming here and they're eating up our resources was sort of like you know the the negative viewpoint that they were facing and so i think you could really make a lot of parallels there so i think it would be a great book club book and it's definitely worthy of discussion but i still felt like it kind of fell short of I don't know, like really being a a serious kind of read. Mm. It's very readable, but I think that it's more about like, oh, look at these characters have to go through so many horrible things and how will they persevere in a way that I don't think was like super serious. Does that make sense? I think so, yeah. So anyway, I don't know if I'm recommending The Four Winds or not. I enjoyed reading it. I don't think it was a great book. So That's fair. Whatever. Well, I just feel like as soon as I know that something is set in the Dust Bowl, I just know that I'm not going to like it. You're out. I'm out. Like, you, that pretty much does wow. it for me. So you have strong feelings about the Dust Bowl. I just, like, anything I encounter that's, like, talking about the Dust Bowl or, like, even huh. the beginning of, what's that movie called that has space travel? Space travel? Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't. And it, like, starts out, it's not the Dust Bowl, but it's, like, similar to the Dust Bowl. Okay. Shoot, what is this movie called? Like, recent? Not set in the twenties or something. No. You talking about Interstellar? Yes. Okay. Okay, Interstellar. The beginning, it's kind of like the Dust Bowl, and okay. just even that part, I'm like, mm, I you just don't, don't want like it. it. Like anything I hear about the Dust Bowl, I'm like, it's it's too. I just can't handle it. This I don't is like I've it never met somebody who had strong feelings about the Dust Bowl before, so this is a this is a big day. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. So, do you like the movie Interstellar? I do like the movie Interstellar. I like it too. But that part of it, I'm like, ah, yeah, that, I don't that like quasi. I feel like I should get points for guessing that you meant Interstellar when you said a movie about <laughs> the Dust travel. Bowl with tra- space travel. I mean, yeah, I think that's, that's, a, that's a pretty good call. Yeah, thank you. What else did I read? Oh, frivolous things. I, I have read a bunch of comic books. I'm going to mention Aquaman's 80th anniversary. So DC Comics has been putting out these anthology collections of their major characters who are all hitting milestones. It was like Green Arrow, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, Catwoman, like all the characters were coming out about this time. And so they're doing this thing where they take they take a character and they write in the style of that character throughout the ages. So like with this Aquaman one, it was like, here's a story set in the 50s style. So like the art was the 50s style. And they got this woman who who designed the covers in the 50s. Like she came back, she's like in her 90s and made this Aquaman cover, which I oh, thought was really super fun. cool. So it just kind of covers like, here's a 70s Aquaman story. Here's an 80s Aquaman story. So if you like old comics like I do, these anthologies are a lot of fun because you're sort of revisiting past eras, but it's new stories. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, we're talking banned books. That's why we're here today. And with that in mind, I've been reading Beloved by Toni Morrison, which is our banned books book club pick this year. So I'm about halfway through that. And then I'm reading Rogue Elements by John Jackson Miller, which is a sci-fi that I'm enjoying so far. And that's where I am. Are you liking Beloved so far? Or maybe liking isn't the right word. Yeah, it's really... Have you read it? I have. I'm... I'm adapting to the like the style because it's kind of a non-traditional way to tell the story. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I read a couple of her books and and I read one called God Save the Child most recently and I really liked that one. 
a lot. I feel like that was a more traditional kind of narrative, like the structure of it and everything. Beloved, I feel like, is similar to something like Song of Solomon. Have you read that? I don't Tony think Morrison? I have. Okay. But they do that sort of same thing where we're jumping around a little bit. It's not a real... It's kind of hard to nail down the tone of that book. Mm-hmm. What, what are your thoughts on it? I, like, again, I don't know if like is the right word. Sure. Because it's, appreciate. Maybe. But I appreciate it a lot. Yeah. Like, I thought the way it was told... Like, it is... It takes a little adjusting. But yeah. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. And I thought the story was really impactful. Yeah. The memories of reading... I read it for a college class. And okay. just, like, the sense of being, like, a little bit overwhelmed. Yeah. But, like, kind of in a good way. Sometimes it's, like... I Like, I read... I don't know, 50, 60 pages or something like that. And then I went and like read just a, a, a brief synopsis of it just to kind of like get my bearings in the mm-hmm. story because it's, you know, it's kind of hard to just jump right into, I feel like, which is intentional, you know, but it's, it's unusual, I yeah. guess is what I would say. So we'll see. We'll see how the book club gang likes it. Uh, Shall we get into some book news? Let's do it. Look into the future to see what it proves. It's time for book news. Well, we're recording in the midst of Hispanic Heritage Month. So instead of doing a New York Times book club, I thought maybe we'd take a look at a New York Times article called, for National Hispanic Heritage Month, 11 Recent Books on Latino Life. This came out, the article was published September 19th of 2021. It's compiled by Miguel Salazar, Isabella Herrera, and Gregory Cowles. Ali, you want to take us through this list? First on the list, we have Latinx, The New Force in American Politics and Culture by Ed Morales. Makes me think of Miles Morales, who's one of my favorite Spider-Man. Yes, mm-hmm. I like it. The recent debate over the term Latinx, which has grabbed the attention of countless op-ed pages and Twitter threads, is just the latest iteration of a long reckoning over this single shared identity. I didn't realize Latinx was a touchy term. Did you? I know? guess I didn't either. Huh. All right. I might have to click that link and find out more. What else we got? The Undocumented Americans by Carla Cornejo. This collection falls somewhere between reportage, fiction, and memoir in its storytelling, rendering an intimate portrait of the undocumented condition in the United States. Okay. That sounds interesting. It does. Sounds also potentially a little intense. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's fair to say. The Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo. I've read that one. I haven't read this one. This is, oh. I think, the only one of hers that I haven't read yet. Oh, okay. It's on I, my list, but... I feel like maybe this is the only one I have read. So together we have a perfect exactly. record. It's like with the Angie Thomas books. That's you know, right. We, we make a complete. That's you know, right. Set. Yes, we do. And just like with the Angie Thomas books, we do have an episode all about this uh, on the All the Book Show archives. So you can go and find that. Malik joined us on that. And we all read this and talked about the Poet X. We had a good time. It sounds like a good time. Yeah. I look forward to reading it soon. Yeah. Unforgetting, a memoir of family, migration, gangs, and revolution in the Americas by Robert Lovato. Lovato unearths the family secrets his father kept guarded to tell a story of trauma and violence from El Salvador to San Francisco's Mission District. You had me at family secrets and then it took kind of a dark turn. Mm-hmm. So so family secrets, that's like a good amount of dark for you. Yeah, I think like so. Any darker than that is a little too well, much. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. I'll report back. All right. Tentacle by Rita Indiana, translated by Aki Ovejas. Tentacle. Ooh, that sounds cool. This novel is a linguistic triumph tackling climate change, queerness, racism, and folk spirituality with rich irreverence through the story of a young maid who becomes entangled in a doomsday prophecy. Ooh, that sounds kind of fun. I wasn't aware I was expecting that to go. So it's it's like sci-fi. Okay. I like it. I guess so. I like it. I want to know why tentacle is relevant, though. I'm a big fan of like octopuses. So I'm learning so much today. <laughs> I'm learning so much today. You're a big fan of octopus. Mm-hmm. 
Why? cephalopods in general, but octopuses <laughs> in particular. Okay. Where does this where does this go back to? I've always really liked sea creatures. Uh-huh. And I'm not sure what it was that kind of gradually made octopuses rise above the mm-hmm. best. But like I don't know. They're just really cool. If you like look up facts about them, there's all kinds of cool facts. Yes. Like they have neurons in their tentacles. So okay. their brain matter is kind of spread around and their Weird. arms will like move kind of on their own accord per se. Oh. So strange. They do all kinds of cool things and they're just really pretty and interesting. And Agre- so no, I don't disagree. I just saw a thing. I don't even remember what it was. It was, it was a video about how they can do somewhat complex problems like that like one of them was it, it was in like a jar and it had to figure out that it just needed to unscrew the jar and it was just like moving around a little bit and then you just see the jar like slowly unscrew mm-hmm. i was like good for you buddy they're very smart i guess so i've heard that in most countries you have to like anesthetize them before you perform surgery because they're that oh. smart oh wow yeah so there's that's a little creepy it's a little creepy it's a creepy factor to that uh, yeah there's there's creepy facts there's fun facts yeah but okay so are you going to read Tentacle? Maybe? Maybe. Okay, we'll see. What else? The Sense of Brown by Jose Esteban Munoz. In this posthumous collection, Munoz, a celebrated queer theorist, meditates on brownness, a broad feeling of kinship rooted in struggle and community that transcends any single ethnicity. All right. It doesn't sound like there's octopus in that. No. So. But you never know. That's true. That's true. You're right. Ordinary Girls by... Hakira Diaz? In this memoir, Diaz writes devastatingly about surviving sexual abuse Mm. and growing up in a broken household plagued by violence and drug addiction in Miami Beach and Puerto Rico. Okay. Also sounds a little intense. It does. Las Beauty Queens by Ivan Mona Lisa Ojeda, translated by Hannah Cotters. This book offers an ode to New York City's queer and trans immigrant community in the form of short stories. How do you feel about short stories as a general rule? I like short stories. Do you? I don't always remember to read them. Mm. So like in college classes, often we would read short stories and I often really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. But I feel like just in general life, I don't always know where to find them or yeah. seek them out. Yeah. Like either they fall into my lap or I forget that short stories are a thing that I can find. No, and read. same. I never, I don't know. Like when I'm looking for new books, if I'm, if I'm going through and I find that like I see something interesting and it says a short story collection, it's probably a deterrent more than anything. Yeah. But there's lots of short stories that I've read and enjoyed. Often when it's an author that I like and they have a short story collection, I'll read that and be like, short stories, you know. Right. But I don't seek them out. Well, and I feel like if it's like, oh, here's this writer who tends to write short stories and here's a book just of their short stories, mm-hmm. I'm more likely to be like, yeah, let's go. Then if it's like, here's a collection of short stories by random people, mm. I'm kind of like, hmm. Don't like that. I'm okay. not not as enticed by that. Okay. All right. All right, let's see here. Gordo by Jamie Cortez. In Cortez's California, a young girl delivers the Eucharist via donut pieces. Ooh. Hmm. A Chicano boy fights in a luchador mask to live up to his father's idea of masculinity. And a hairstylist is asked to work on a wig for his dead middle school bully who was shot in the head. Jeez. Wow, that's a lot of things going so on. So I was just going to say that. Yeah. It would take an octopus to untangle that kind of puzzle, don't you think? I think so. It might take a few octopuses. It could. A couple. That sounds I'm kind of really interesting, though. I'm really interested by this idea of Eucharist via donut. Pieces. Yeah, right. I think that's what intrigues me the most You had here. me a donut. Yeah, absolutely. Post-Colonial Love Poem by Natalie Diaz. Throughout her second collection, Diaz highlights the ways an occupying power absorbs and erases the cultures it meets. And, in keeping with her efforts to preserve indigenous languages, she refuses to submit to the process. Okay. 
And finally, drum roll. <laughs> Cruel Fiction by Wendy Trevino. Trevino's 2018 debut poetry collection is also a manifesto of sorts, and her thesis is simple. A border like race is a cruel fiction. Mm. Okay. That is a nice, pithy thesis. It is. It is. It gets right to the point, doesn't it? Does. It does. Well, and that's what a thesis should do. Yeah. You know, that's what they tell you. It is kind of funny sometimes when you really think about, like, the concept of a border. I remember we were going up to a concert um, at Art Park, like, way up north in New York that's, like, right... So we're like driving down the road and it's like, okay, so this, this land right over here is Canada and this is the USA. And it, like when you see it in those terms, it's just kind of like, what are we talking about? Right. You know what I mean? Like it is. Right. Like if you think about it abstractly, like, oh yeah, big picture. Sure. I live in the yeah. United States. It's like, okay, sure. Yeah. But then when you're actually looking at it, you're kind of like, interesting. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I don't see much. Yeah. 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 When, it, when they're not like drawn out lines, you know, it's just kind of like. This is a dumb thing that we're that we're doing and the dumb thing that we're fighting about. But anyway, I do like that thesis. Do you like poetry collections? Do you read a lot of poetry? I do like poetry collections. Okay. I don't always, again, I don't always find them. Okay. But when I do, I tend to okay. be pretty pleased. All right. Yeah, I usually at Poetry Month, I'll make sure that I read a couple here. I've ended up reading a lot of poetry by Joyce Carol Oates, which is always interesting. But yeah, that's not something that I'm like, let's go find some poetry. I tend to more like find one-off poems on the internet and read them than oh. like pick up a whole book. Okay. But it depends a little. Yeah. Well, again, that list was uh, right for the New York Times from September 19th. You can find that there. and You can find a lot of those books right here in our system. So come and check them out. All right. Are you ready to move into some talk about Band Book Week? I am so ready okay. to talk about Band Book let's Week. Let's do it. So Band Book Week is every year about this time, and it's just a time to really like take a look at books that are being regularly challenged, and it always leads to some interesting conversations because, you know, typically you hear banned books and it's just like bad. That, that's not the way it should go. And then you have some things like I remember a few years ago, it was uh, the Little Bill books by Bill Cosby you know, mm-hmm. were regularly being pulled off shelves and taken down. And that kind of led to a conversation of like, in a situation like that, is that okay? So there's some nuance and then there's some difficulty in how you how you handle that kind of thing, you know? And I think we even had some of this conversation a little bit back when the Seuss estate pulled some of those Dr. Seuss books right. out of regular publication. It brought up a lot of like, if we put these in the right context or if we don't shelve them with regular children's books is that censorship. And that's a complicated question Mm -hmm. to answer, you know, because I think a lot of it is, is the context with how they're presented. It's one thing if you're saying like, look at this book, look at the mistakes it made and understand the full context versus just like, just toss it in the kids collection and it won't. Just a free for all. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think about that? It's hard. No, I feel like it really is complicated because it's easy to be like, oh, censorship is bad. Or it's easy to be like, we shouldn't give kids books that are like whatever, dangerous or whatever. But then I do feel like there's a moment where you kind of start to put some things together and it's like, well, wait, this this is maybe kind of censorship, but also is this a problem if we just kind of hand these books out to kids without any like explanation or like anything? Yeah, it's true. And so... I do feel like it becomes complex very quickly. It is. It is. And it's like, 
I think because of that, I don't think there's one right answer that's right for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, like the Seuss books, for example, like we didn't delete them from our collection. We didn't get rid of them or something like that. But we did move them to our like children's reference collection so that they're in a place where like you can explain, you know, mm-hmm. you can explain what the situation was. But if somebody wanted to study them or wanted, you know, to read through all of the Seuss books, you know, with that context in mind, they're available. And I think that's important, you know, to keep things like that available and, and part of the conversation. I think we can agree that in general, banning books is just bad. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. not so uh, good. and so it's always interesting. And by interesting, I mean sort of disappointing when you look at the reason why things tend to be challenged a little bit. It's rare that we've had direct challenges from patrons here, people coming in and saying, you know, you shouldn't have this book on the shelves, but it happens and it always is, um, again, it's nuanced, you know, because you really got to kind of look at the context, why we have the book, you know, what what purpose it's serving. Like, in so each time it's come up for us where we've had somebody really question why we have something in the collection, the answer is kind of different every time. We've never, I mean, at least not since I've been here, gotten rid of a book, you know, just because it was challenged right. by one person or something. But you know, we do take it seriously and make sure our collection is representing the full community and not just certain viewpoints. And, and that's challenging. And, and in doing that, you're going to have books in the collection that are at odds with each other. And that's just the nature of it. Well, you know? I think having those things that are at odds with each other is really important. I do too. And something that's interesting, I feel like, is that with any issue, I feel like there's going to be people on both sides who want to do some censorship. Mm-hmm. Like this mm-hmm. isn't you know, like whatever it may be, a political issue or a social issue or just an idea, whatever. There's never just one side that's like, no, we're not going to censor. And the other side is like, yes, we're, you know, like there's always at least a little bit of push Mm -hmm. kind of, I feel like from people with different perspectives. And so I feel like really representing all of those perspectives is important and part of, I I don't know, part of hopefully solving the problem. Yeah. It's, I've, I've also found myself in, in the position where like here at other libraries I've worked in, you know, a kid has like, well, I remember one time really specifically a kid when the it movies were coming out, a kid who like, I felt like I wouldn't want my son who was about that age to read the book it, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, <laughs> but it was really kind of like, I wasn't going to say like, no, you can't do that because like, I'm not this kid's parent, but it is, it does kind of bring up a, a responsibility issue where you're kind of thinking like, where does it end? You know what I mean? If you right. stop one person from checking out it because you think they're too young or something like, how do you draw that line? So it's really, it's complicated. Yeah. Well, and it's hard because I feel like it can be easy to say like, okay, well like this is up to the parents, mm-hmm. you know? And like my parents, I feel like generally did a pretty good job of, you know, being like, hey, maybe we shouldn't read this book yet. You know, not in like we're being right, you know, like, right. How dare you? You're yeah. not allowed. But more like mm, maybe you know, in a while, or yeah. like talking about things, that kind of thing. But I know that not everyone's parents do that at mm-hmm, all. Mm-hmm. Some parents don't pay you know attention yeah. to what their kids are reading. And then on the other hand, some parents are really more like draconian, perhaps, sure, yeah. about what their kids are allowed to read, and so. I would feel bad if I, you know, handed a very small child it, didn't say anything, <laughs> thinking, oh, their yeah. parents will say something. Yeah. And then, but also, I'm not going to say, no, there's no way you can have this. Right. So, I, know. I know. It's weird. And I guess I feel like, like from the perspective 
like as a parent when I'm thinking about that sort of thing, I don't really feel like, you know, my son and he's, he's really, I mean, he's too young for this conversation anyway, but you know, when he was a little older, say he's like 10, 11, something like that. I don't feel like him picking up a book that had things that, that we don't agree with and reading that. I don't think that would be strong enough to like outdo all of the parenting he's received up to that point. You know what I mean? So I don't feel like as a library, it's really our place to like intercede in that way. Yeah. I don't know. You know, it, it, sometimes it is, it is a, it's a tricky little tightrope thing there to want to make sure that we have things for people who are interested and, and learning and trying to figure things out. And then, you know, you just don't know, you don't know what's going to happen next, you know? Yeah. So you got to kind of walk that line, I think. Uh, we're going to be looking today at bandbooksweek.org. They have a lot of really interesting things, a lot of videos and conversations and promotional tools and uh, resources, event listings, all sorts of things. So if you're interested in the topic, you can look at bandbooksweek.org. As I mentioned, we're doing the book club on Beloved, and we have uh, book displays of, of banned books or challenged books is really a, a more appropriate way to describe them because we're not in a situation where like the government is banning books it's just these are books that are challenged by groups whatever but i thought we'd look at the top 10 most challenged books of 2020 uh, according to the ala and you can find this at ala.org and this is just a list compiled by the american library association so let's take a look uh the first book here we have george by alex gino so this is a ya book uh, that we do have in the collection. We got it right when it came out because it was super popular. We never heard a word about it. Nobody ever Not a said anything or complained about it. Are you familiar with this book? I've seen it around, but I haven't read it. Okay. Its reasons for being challenged are LGBTQIA plus content, conflicting with religious viewpoints, and not reflecting the, quote, values of our community. Whatever that means. Well, also, who's community? Like, well, exactly. There's this, there's yeah. this possessive, but it's not attached yeah. to anyone. I know. Well, that's always the conversation. It's like, okay, so this this offends or conflicts with your set of viewpoints or values or whatever you want to say. I don't understand taking the step of being like, so no one can see this. Yeah. I just think... I, never... I don't like it, so no one can. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I feel like this conversation is the same every time we do a, a band books <laughs> week thing, but... I just don't get it. I just don't get it. And I really feel like when you do that, when you take that step, all you're doing is elevating that book. You know what I mean? It's not going to be removed from existence. You're just elevating it. You know what right. I mean? You're being like, everyone look at this book that I don't like. And then exactly. people will. It's like, you know? oh, now I, I'm curious. Yeah. I say this every year, but I'm telling you, Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code, if people didn't freak out about the Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown would not have a career. You know, (laughs) I fully believe that. And that's just what happens. You know, you're shining a spotlight on something that probably didn't have a spotlight on it before. Anyway, number two on the list, Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You by Ibram X. Zendi and Jason Reynolds. Reasons for being banned or challenged is because the author's public statements, I'm not sure what that means, and because of claims that the book contains, quote, selective storytelling incidents and does not encompass racism against all people. That's a lot to put on a book. Yeah. I, and, like, I haven't read it, so, you know, like, yeah. but I mean to at some point. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, does does any book encompass racism against all people? I, don't, I 
if it does, yeah. I, I'd like to see the book. And also, I'm sure it would be really heavy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, another Jason Reynolds book on the list here. Number three is All American Boys by Jason Reynolds and Brendan Kiley. Reasons for being banned would be profanity, drug use, and alcoholism. And because it was thought to promote anti-police violence, contain divisive topics, and be, quote, too much of a sensitive matter right now. I love the right now at the end there. Not just like in general, but like yeah. specifically in this right moment, now. Mm-hmm. In this moment in time. Number four, Speak by Lauren Halls Anderson. This I feel like is, I don't remember this being on the list in quite a while. Yeah, well, no, it wasn't last year. I know it's been on before, but I, it's been a long time. I wonder why that one is suddenly, because that's an older book, isn't it? I'm not actually sure. Oh, okay. I think it is. I think it's quite old. Anyway, uh, it's challenged because it was thought to contain a political viewpoint Wait, what? (laughs) I I mean, probably so. Uh, Political viewpoint, and it was claimed to be biased against male students and for the novel's inclusion of rape and profanity. Interesting. Yes. Number five, The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexie. This is challenged for profanity, sexual references, and allegations of sexual misconduct by the author. I like this one quite a lot. The book? Mm Mm-hmm. read it. I think I was in high school. Actually, yes. This tells you something. Okay. My parents gave me this to read for my schooling. Ah, okay. Yeah. All right. I don't really know what this is about. I hear about this book all the time, but I haven't read it. Tell me a little bit about it. So it's a story about a Native American boy. He lives on the res, but he goes to school off the res. And so it's kind of this like a little bit of like a two lives kind of a thing. Okay. Sort of colliding and contrasting and, you know, dealing with some of that, but also just dealing with some like general high school stuff. And it's interesting because I know that part of the reason why this is challenged now is because of the allegations of sexual misconduct by right. the author. But before that, this was already challenged oh, yeah. because of sexual content. Yeah. And I've read this book and like, I feel like the content was fairly tame comparatively. Okay. Like again, I read this in high school and I wasn't like, oh, oh yeah. no, you know, like as a high schooler, it seemed okay to me. Uh-huh. And especially because... I feel like the number of books that I've read, YA books that have so much more than this, but I've never heard a peep on Mm. it at all. Like no one has ever been like, this book, how dare, you know? And so I don't know. I'm always a little puzzled when I look at these lists and I'm like, huh? Yeah. These are the ones. This is the one for for whatever reason. reasons. Like I can think of quote unquote worse examples. This was last on the list in 2018, and the reasons listed then were sexual references, profanity, violence, gambling, underage drinking, and its religious viewpoint. Interesting. So there you go. Do with that what you will. You know, this is just becoming more and more of a conversation about what you do. You know, in in an era where we kind of know everything about everyone, mm-hmm. it feels like more and more you're dealing with having to find the line between separating the artist from the art absolutely and i still i mean i still struggle with this like i still don't really know how to handle that you know i just think it's kind of like case by case i don't yeah well and it's just such an interesting experience because like the time frame that it's happened on like even when i was a kid and i was reading harry potter right i didn't know anything about jk Rowling. Uh, yeah right, i knew that exactly. she was jk Rowling, yeah. and i thought maybe i had heard some story about her writing ideas on a napkin in a coffee shop yeah. and that's how this came to be or something yeah i didn't really know and now it's like i know everything about exactly her. yeah and I don't know that that knowing that kind of information about authors in general really adds to my experience of Mm -hmm. the book that much. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I don't know. It's a little weird. Yeah, it is weird. 
I kind of ask myself sometimes, why have we done this that now we have like erased some of those separations between author and readers? I don't know. I think it's just one of those, you know, like the, the, the toothpaste out of the tube situation, Right. you know, like all this, all this information is available. And now I think the sense is like, you can't, you can't support that book without, or, or whatever it is, book, movie, music, whatever. You can't support that art without sort of essentially co-signing whatever the artist mm-hmm. did. You know, I feel like that's right. kind of the mindset that more and more is creeping in. And I just honestly don't know what to do about that. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how that affects the way you view things, you know. Right. Well, and it's complicated, too, because I think there's a lot of cases where you can say this person did things that I didn't like or that were really awful. Mm-hmm. You know, it depends. But there is still something valuable and worthwhile yeah. in this book or this piece of art. And so figuring out how to navigate, like, that's kind of a cognitive dissonance, yeah, really. Is. And then, again, there's cases like, well, do I want to stop buying things so I'm yeah. not financially supporting them? Well, that's, I think, what it, I think it comes down to that a lot because I've definitely had, you know, heard whatever. I don't, I don't have a, I don't have an obvious example, but I know that there's been situations where, you know, somebody who's said or done something and I, then I sort of feel like I don't want to give them my money right. as much as I would like to, you know, have access to this, whatever it yes. is, you know, and so it, yeah, it's just, uh, it, it's sort of an unanswerable question right. how you handle that sort of thing. And I tend to get most of my books from libraries anyway, so often I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm not the one who bought it. <laughs> there it's you fine. go. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice little, yeah, a little separation there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, number six on the list. Something Happened in Our Town, a child's story about racial injustice by Marianne Salino, Marietta Collins, and Anne Hazard, illustrated by Jennifer Zivon. Reason it's challenged for its divisive language and because it was thought to promote anti-police views. I'm not familiar with this title. It's a children's book. I've seen it. I haven't read it. Okay. Well, there you go. But I've heard good things. Okay. Uh, Number seven. I just don't get this. To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. It's a banned and challenged for racial slurs and their negative effect on students. Okay. Featuring a, quote, white savior character in its perception of the black experience. This, I feel like, sort of falls into the perennial conversation about what to do with Mark Twain. Right. You know? The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Exactly. Yeah. Like, try listening to an audiobook of that. And it is, it is a, it's a challenging conversation. Um, I don't think I'd heard that with To Kill a Mockingbird. And I, like I said, I don't think that's been on the list in a while. So I'm kind of surprised to see it here. Making its way back. I don't know. What do you think you do about those, like sort of historic works of literature that are just part of the canon that, yes, you know, when you read something like that now, and I found it a little bit with, uh, in our Victorian episode when we were, when I was revisiting some of H. Ryder Haggard's Alan Quartermain stories. Yeah. A lot of the stuff that they say are, it's not cool. You know what I mean? Not appropriate then or now. Um, But I think our perceptions have changed so much that it stands out incredibly now in a way that it never had in the past and certainly wouldn't have occurred to the author. What do you do? Yeah. Well, I think, again, this is this is a complicated thing. It's the kind of thing where like sometimes I'm like, okay, if someone now wrote a book that was like this, I would be like, no, right. Please don't do this. You don't write this. Don't publish this. We, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't need this. But since it was written in a different time and was important for a historical moment. Yeah. I don't know. It becomes more than just the book itself. I feel like it becomes kind of a again, like a a piece of history. And so you can look at it kind of from that lens. 
but it's definitely complicated. I read a book called Breaking Be- Bread with the Dead. Mm-hmm. This is by Alan Jacobs. Okay. And it's all about this kind of how do you deal with past books, past authors mm-hmm. that either the author or the book has something uncomfortable or problematic about it in our current yeah, view. Yeah, yeah, But there's still some, you know, maybe it's a classic or there's worthwhile things. Yeah. And kind of wrestling with this like, Again, sort of being able to sit with some of the discomfort, not try and like pretend it's not there. Yeah. Be like, oh yeah. no, this book is fine. There's nothing, you know, in here that, but not just kind of shut the book out, but still, you know, allow yourself to see some of the good things that mm-hmm. it has to offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it's, you know, we, I think it was last year we had a post that it was like a staff pick and it was about um, the little house series, Mm -hmm. you know, which is just one of those things that like, I mean, when I was a kid and long before that, those were just sort of in every classroom and every kid read them as a child and they were just sort of this beloved thing. And then when you really look at it, yes, her views on (laughs) native Americans are not pleasant and they're not portrayed in positive or appropriate ways, but it just becomes that question of what do you do? Do you just kind of like erase those books do you do some sort of new editions where you have kind of a disclaimer almost that's like this was written under a different context and way of thinking that we now know was dangerous and harmful i don't know i don't know if that i don't know if that highlights it in a way you don't want i don't know if, if that makes it better or worse i don't know i don't know either i think some of the answer maybe is to not just say get rid of the little house books but add in other books that have yeah. more appropriate language, more perspectives. Yeah. And so, cause if you just keep hanging on to these same books that have these problematic yeah. things and not necessarily giving a lot of disclaimer, or even if you do, if that's just the only things that we're reading in school, yeah. for instance, we're not going to be able to separate from that viewpoint as much. Right. But I think if you can add in other things that kind of give some balance that that will help. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think it definitely will help. And you look at the way some of the, you know, not just books, but if you look at like uh, like Disney, for example, if mm-hmm. you look at like streaming, Disney Plus is doing this thing where they take some of the, the shorts or movies like Dumbo or Peter Pan, which feature pretty blatant, mm-hmm. you know, racial issues that you know you you just can't, you just can't ignore and instead of like deleting those scenes or taking them out they're making them not accessible in like a children's profile putting them just under like an adult category mm-hmm. and having like a little disclaimer at the beginning you know i don't know if that's the solution or not but i think that's uh, you know that's certainly an approach that gets across what maybe you want i don't know what do you think about that i don't know cuz i feel like kids are still going to want to watch peter pan yeah and so does this just mean they're going to go into the adult profile maybe with or without the parents maybe supervision? maybe and like maybe it would help in that then they're saying oh there's something different about this where we mm-hmm. have to read this disclaimer and go yeah. through this little kind of you know jump through some hoops to get to this yeah and that'll kind of bring some awareness because mm-hmm. i think that can help like I remember my dad read Dr. Doolittle to my sister and I when we were little. Mm-hmm. And I really loved that book, mm-hmm. the whole like talking with animals sure, and everything. Yeah. It was a great time. But I remember him saying, there are things about this. There are ways of portraying people yeah. that are not fine. Mm-hmm. And even though I didn't quite maybe entirely get it at the time because mm-hmm. I was pretty young, that stuck with me so that as I continued to read it and think about it, I was like, oh, okay, I see what this is. I recognize it. 
and I already have this reference point to say this is not this is not how we yeah talk about people yeah and so I think something like that can be helpful but I think the dialogue is important too because it's always I don't know I mean anytime you have a conversation like the one we're having right now uh it's it's challenging because like there's such a high risk that you're going to put your foot in your mouth you know what I mean that you're going to say something that I don't know and I think I think that it's good that people approach conversations like this delicately and gingerly. But, you know, if you're so afraid of, of making a misstep, then maybe you avoid the conversation altogether. And right. that, I think, is just as dangerous, you know, because you have we, to talk yeah. through these things. And, like, you and I do not know the answer, you know? I right. mean, you and I are just like... What are a, you talking about? Of course. Oh, you know? No, no, you no know? I'm just kidding. I have no idea. <laughs> I know. But, I mean, you know, here we are, just a couple of, like nice white people trying to like solve right. this problem or not we're not trying to solve the problem but we're trying to discuss how we handle this as a library how we handle this as individuals and i think there's nothing wrong with saying i don't know but we're trying to figure it out yeah and that's certainly my approach i don't know let's try to figure it out i don't know either <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> number eight on the list of mice and men by john steinbeck a challenge for racial slurs and racial stereotypes and uh their negative effects on students i'm really curious about that part I haven't read this one, so I, I don't haven't know read what those of negative effects either. Are, yeah, you know. I don't know, I don't know. Um, but again, I mean, if this is the kind of thing that you're reading in a class, and I feel like a lot of times that's why these kinds of things are challenged because they're on reading lists. Right. I feel People like people notice them. I feel like if that's the kind of thing you're doing in a classroom setting, then that should be part of the conversation. Right. You know what I mean? Like if that's yeah. if that is part of the conversation, part of the way you're looking at it from a critical lens, and I think that's valuable. Yeah. To to look at those things and be like, how did you react to that? Because it is jarring, you know, and it's good. I think that like we're in a place where you read something like that and it's jarring rather right. than something that you just gloss over. And if it's not jarring to you, then that conversation is an important one. Absolutely. So anyway, uh, number nine, The Bluest Eyes by Toni Morrison. We were just talking about Toni Morrison. Mm-hmm. Uh, challenged because it was considered sexually explicit and depicts child sexual abuse. Uh, finally, the hate you give. This one I feel like has had a hot streak of being on the challenge list here. <laughs> challenge for profanity and is thought to promote an anti-police message. Uh, I I've only read on the come up, and you've read the hate you give. I've read the hate not you on give. the come up. How do you feel about the hate you give? I like. I don't know. I from my own reading don't feel like I am that concerned about the yeah, anti-police right, message. Right. Because it's all very much in the context of, hey, a police officer shot my best friend in front of my own eyeballs. And I don't think it's inappropriate for that situation. Right. So, and I think it's really has some subtlety and isn't just like absolutely bashing on police or anything like Mm -hmm. that. So, I don't, you know, I don't know. Like, I think you're going to, I think you're going to run into a problem anytime you read a book on this list and think that's the end of the conversation i've had the whole conversation i think any of these books and i think books in general art in general should be the start of conversations not the end Mm -hmm. you know so if you're reading these books and you're finding something in here that is that is challenging to you or that you think is inappropriate or you think would be inappropriate to children then like have that conversation don't just be like we're done dismiss this that's the end of this conversation like I'm always okay with a conversation, you know, and yeah. I feel like it, people working through things is, is important. And I think we're all, 
doing that. You know, I think we probably should have done it more earlier, but here we are now, you know, anything that's the start of a continuing dialogue and coming to new understandings, I think is important. Yeah. Well, and like, just because I thought that the sentiments in the hate you give were not inappropriately anti-police. Right. Doesn't mean that I'm not open to hearing from people who yeah. feel that way and understanding what about this yeah. made you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Why? Because to some degree I don't get it. And yeah. so maybe I need to hear from those people so mm-hmm. that I can start to try and understand. Yeah. Well, that is the, uh, that's the top 10 list here of most challenged books from 2017. Again, this is compiled by the ALA. And I'm just going to give you a little uh, stat here. Um, The American Library Association condemns censorship and works to ensure free access to information. Every year, the Office for Intellectual Freedom compiles a list of the top 10 most challenged books in order to inform the public about censorship in libraries and schools. The lists are based on information from media stories and voluntary reports sent to the office from communities across the U.S. The top 10 lists are only a snapshot of book challenges. Surveys indicate that 82 to 97 percent of book challenges documented requests to remove materials from schools or libraries remain unreported reported and received no media so this is not meant to be a comprehensive list or the definitive list of books that are challenged but based on the reports and information available these are the ones that sort of come to the top so for more information again you can go to ala.org or bandbooksweek.org you can stop in and check out our displays or join us for the book club here at the david a Howe public library Al, you got any uh library news you want to share any exciting upcoming programs coming our way well October is just around the corner. It is. And I am very excited for October. <laughs> because I, yeah. Uh, we're, we've decided like as a library that we just need to have a Halloween meeting because we've got so many exciting <laughs> Halloween things around the bend. That's like what I want is to be like, oh, we have so many Halloween things that we have to have a whole yes, meeting about. We it, have to. You know, yep. so mission success. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we've got some good Halloween things around the bend. Also, on the 1st of October... We're having a after school movie at four thirty. Okay. And we're showing Dun 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 Black Widow. Hey, we did a whole episode we about did that, Ellie. Wow, so okay. Those of you who listened know how much I love Black Widow. Yeah. You can imagine how excited I am that yeah. we are going to show Black Widow. That is exciting. In indoor? Outdoor. Indoor. Indoor. Okay, in the auditorium. Cool. So All right. yes. So that's coming up. And then also throughout October on Tuesday nights, I'm gonna be doing different Halloween crafts and events. Cool, cool. And so Yes, drop in and pick up a list of those. Were you a big Halloween kid growing up? I was a big Halloween kid. Okay. I'm like an interesting Halloween person though in that like the things that are like too spooky and gross, I'm kind of like, eh, pass. Oh, I'm but with you. like cute ghosts, dressing up as pirates, candy, all, all of that. Like, you know, little bats, yellow moons. I'm all there for that I have stuff. a very specific criteria that a movie has to reach for it to be like the appropriate level of spooky. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Anything that pushes it too far, any any sort of image that's going to get stuck in my brain, I don't want. I don't yeah, want. I just need the right kind of spooky. So, yeah, I understand. It's a it's a journey. It's a journey. I'm excited for our fall festival, I'm which is for coming up on a Saturday, October second. This I think was one of the few positive things as a library that we could report that came out of the pandemic year. And of course, we're still in the midst of uh, of this. Alas. Um, but we started doing these just like come and go outdoor festivals. And like we could have always been doing that and we just weren't, you know. And so we were like, we did it out of necessity. And even last year, we were kind of like, this is great. We should do it all the time. Mm-hmm. So this is our second annual fall festival. And we've got 
so many fun things happening. We've got, you know, take and make crafts. We're giving out free books for all ages. Special shout out to the Wellsville Rotary Club for the kids' books they've donated. We've got live music from the Young Sisters. We've got donuts. We've got live goats that people can hang out I'm with. I'm pretty excited about the I goats. mean, what a time. What a time at the David A. Howe Public Library. So I'm most excited about that. But we do have a lot of fun and kooky things coming up. At the end of October, so I know that's a ways out now, yeah. but we're going to have a Halloween hot chocolate party. Ooh. Make different kinds of hot chocolate. Okay. Include some Halloween things. I how, how do you make, like, what what makes it Halloween hot cocoa? So there's this way that you can melt marshmallows and make them into, like, spider webs over the rim of the Oh, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So, but I'm looking into some other Halloween elements okay. that I will include. All right. How do you feel about the pumpkin spice craze? I like, I'm okay with pumpkin spice, but I'm not like, okay. I'm not one of the like pumpkin spice, okay. you know, fan club. How do you feel about people decorating for Halloween now? Cause it's September as we record. Like, you know, it's no, fine. I like it's a little early, mm-hmm. but like Mm-mm. if if you're excited. I don't know. I don't condone too early getting into certain like October 1st. Fine. Halloween it up. September. No. Same with Christmas music pre-Thanksgiving. Christmas, anything Christmas pre-Thanksgiving I'm not about. I worked with a lady. September 1st, Christmas music began. Oh, no. Inappropriate. I feel like I I am more against early Christmas than against early Halloween. Okay. Because I feel like there's not as many people who do, do early Halloween. True. And maybe I just have more appreciation for like the Halloween decorations okay. than I do for Christmas decorations. Because right. a lot of the time I'm like, okay, it's tinsel and we get it. And it's not that exciting. <laughs> like, give me rats and wow. bats and ghosts. Wow. Like, I mean, you could put those on a Christmas tree. Why not? That's a good point. I should think about yeah, that. Yeah, have a Halloween tree maybe. But because I feel like often by the time Christmas comes around, I'm just kind of like, I feel a little ill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's been so much. Too much. Okay. So All I'm right. with you on that. All right. Well, the adult book clubs, we're currently reading uh, Beloved, as I mentioned. And then for Hispanic Heritage Month, we're going to read Isabella Allende's Zorro novel, which I've always wanted to read. And then for Halloween, we're reading The Haunting of Hill House. And I'm going to be joined here by the queen of Halloween, Sally Jacoby Murphy, to talk that book and all things Halloween. Our next episode, Malik is going to be back. and We're talking Bruce Lee and a little Shang-Chi, which you haven't seen yet. Not yet, but okay. I hope to. Yeah. Get on it. Get on it. All right. Well, Allie, thanks again for joining me. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for this week's episode of How's Things. We'll see you next time, everybody. Bye.